So we are looking at the life of Peter and seeing really the life of Jesus. This uh, series is from shifting sand to solid rock. And you know, that really is our journey. That spiritually, we start out kind of unstable. And, and as God becomes more and more real, more and more uh, part of our life, as we, as we give more and more of ourselves to him, we become more solid. And, and so the question that we look at today is uh, out of the scripture for, about the rich young ruler. And the question really for you is, are you good enough? Are you good enough for God? Well, nobody is. But when we think about being good enough, it is in Christ that we become who we really are. We get restored to the image of God. And we do become good enough for God. But it's not through our own efforts. It's through what God does in our lives. Now, I have another question for you. This is really serious. Would you rather be rich or happy? I would rather be both. And that was the common answer that most people would get. Both. But it's amazing as you look at, at people who, who are striving after things and you, you find a lot of rich people that just don't seem that happy. I think the real truth here for us is, is to be happy no matter what. And Peter, you know, we're looking at his life. He has been shifting sand, but he's getting better. He's becoming more solid in Christ. But he's still not good enough. And no matter how hard we try on our own efforts, we are not good enough. You and I are not good enough for God. Today we look at the rich young ruler and we find that he's a good guy, uh, but not good enough. And often this story is a little bit misunderstood. People wrongly think that Jesus wants us to give up everything in order to follow him. And so let's take a look at the scripture. We're looking at Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. It starts this way. Once a religious leader asked Jesus a question. So who is this guy? Who is the rich young ruler? Who, this, this rich religious leader? What do we know about him? Who is he? Uh, it, it's so fun because uh, in our church in Salem, we had a Bible study, and, and this uh, couple was coming, and no kidding, his name was Richard Lehman. And I was so excited that in our church, we had Rich Lehman, you know? And he was a great guy. He was, uh, he was a really a fantastic skier. Uh, we skied with them sometimes, and, and I, Colette reminded me that he had been on the ski patrol, and so, you know, he was about helping other people, and, and he was really a terrific skier. One time we went to Sun Valley, and, and, you know, we were taking turns coming down, and, and Rich goes down, and these people are stopping, and they're going, wow, look at that guy, look at those, look at how he's doing all that, and, and then I came down, and they said, oh, well, let's go. Um, and I was a pretty good skier, but he was great. He, he was really good and, and a lot of fun. And, and they were in Bible study with us, Rich and Sue. And I just thought it was so cool to have Rich Lehman in our, in our church. But that's not the point. The point is that we are all to be the very best we can be for God. And 
there's a word here that is used, the religious leader, uh, often translated ruler in some uh, different translations. But this word in the Greek is archon. Archon means, really best in the English, is leader. Or sometimes it's translated differently as the word prince. This person is a prince amongst people. Or the word chief. Uh, the idea, we don't use chief, you know, Indian chief, or uh, maybe fire chief, that, that kind of thing. Uh, ruler is how we often hear it. Uh, maybe the word boss would be included here. But it, this is the same word that uh, is used in the Greek when Jesus is talking to Jairus, who is a religious leader. He's the one whose daughter died, and Jesus brought her back to life. and it, it, it to describe him, this same word, archon, is used. Now, Matthew adds a little more information. He says that this man was young. And so we know he's not really a ruler because to be in the Sanhedrin, to be a ruler of the people, you had to be older. And so he's not old enough to be in the Sanhedrin, probably. Uh, we might say some things about a person like this. We use words like, oh man, he's really sharp. Uh, what do we mean when we say that person is really sharp? They're, they're with it, they've got it, they understand it. Uh, I would imagine that uh, this person was probably attractive. Uh, if you have money, you can, you can sometimes uh, pay for things to make you more attractive. Uh, certainly, we might think that this was a, a leader of people, so maybe he was charismatic. These are the words that we typically would use, uh, a sharp young man who is uh, dynamic, uh, and, and that's the kind of, we, we kind of think about those things. Mark adds another aspect uh, of illustration of who this guy is when he says that he came up to Jesus and he knelt before him. He got down on his knees in the dirt before Jesus for a rich young ruler type person, that was a pretty significant thing. And so we might add descriptive words like he was humble. He humbled himself before Jesus. And a lot of times people come to Jesus and they ask questions, but they're not very sincere. And certainly would see that he seems to be very sincere in wanting to talk with Jesus and find out some things from Jesus. Let me tell you, this rich young ruler has a great resume to be a disciple for Jesus. I mean, every pastor wants this guy in their church and probably on their church board, okay? This is a great guy. By human standards, a great guy. And since he's young, as Mark tells us, we're, we're going to call him Richie today, all right? So we have Richie, and here's Richie's question. He says to Jesus, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. I think it's interesting that he calls Jesus good. He calls him rabbi, teacher. So he's recognizing that Jesus' words speak truth. So he's impressed by Jesus. But notice he says, he's asking Jesus a question, and he says, what should I do? What should I do? Not who do I need to be, but what should I do? And we have to be careful here not to fall into the trap that to you know, have a good relationship with God, we, it's about what we do for him. And, and that's the problem for the rich young ruler, for Richie. 
So what should I do? I think it's a great question, what should we do? I think it's the best question ever. I think we, we want to get this right. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to be? So Jesus gives Richie a very quick lesson on goodness, on what it means to be good. He says this, why do you call me good? And Jesus asked him, and then he said a statement, only God is good. Now, this is very interesting. Now, is, is the rich young ruler trying to flatter Jesus by calling him good? Uh, is, is he saying, hey, I really believe in you. I, have, I, I am putting my faith in you, Jesus. Or is he saying, you're God. Jesus is qualifying that. If only God is good and you're calling me good, what, what, what is he saying? So Jesus realizes that he's going to have a talk with this guy, Richie, and they're going to talk about eternal life. But he must first of all redefine good. The moral worth of a person must be measured against the proper example of goodness. A lot of times we say, oh, that person's such a good person. A lot of times when, when people die, we say all kinds of wonderful things about them. And it's, it's so much so that sometimes you wonder, are they talking about the same guy that I knew? You know? And because they go on and on and on. And a lot of times you'll hear this. Oh, he was such a good person. And, and God is surely going to let them into heaven because they were so good. Let me tell you, nobody is good enough. Nobody is good enough to measure up to the standard of God. Because God is the only valid standard of what goodness really is. So what Jesus says next is he uses the Mosaic law to qualify moral character. He, here's what he says in verse 20. But to answer your question, uh, Richie, you know the commandments. And of course, every Jewish person who was educated at all knew the Ten Commandments by heart, could recite them. Um, it's not so much if you have them memorized, it's if you really practice them. So Jesus helps Richie adjust this goodness scale to match God's. And what he's saying is to gain entrance to the kingdom of God, Richie must obey the law of Moses, but he must obey it with sinless perfection. That's the problem with the law. None of us can obey it fully. As a matter of fact, um, every time you drive, are you obeying the law to perfection? Because I, I try to obey the law and the rules and stuff, and, and guess what? I'm getting old enough that the state of California wants to test me. I have to take a test to get my driver's license renewed. I'm finally mature enough for that. So I'm, I'm taking a practice test. And, and I, so I, I'm taking this, and, and it says, if the posted limit is 65 miles per hour and you drive 70 miles per hour on the freeway, are you breaking the speed limit? And I thought, wow, this is a trick question. Because I've heard police officers tell me that if you go seven miles over, you're still going to be okay. You probably you won't get stopped. And, and so I think, well, you know, it's just a practice test. So I said, you know, I'll go with the legalistic answer. 
And I said, yes, you're breaking the law if you go over 65. And sure enough, I got that question right. <laughs> wow. And so I realized anytime you, anytime you, I, moving it from me to you, anytime you drive over the speed limit, you're breaking the law. You're sinning. You're not, it's not sinless perfection. And then I found out because of COVID, I can have my driver's license renewed for one year without having to do anything. Yay. So that's what I did. So I don't, I'm, I'm got another year. Uh, so anyway, Jesus then gets a little more specific with the law. He's going to run down some of the commandments, some of the 10 commandments, but he only uses five. And so it's kind of interesting. If you want to ever follow along with the Ten Commandments, that you can find them in Exodus 20. So here's the things that Jesus says. Okay, so let's test you. You got to keep the commandments. You must not commit adultery. Now, when we have taught the Ten Commandments before, I've had little techniques to help you remember the Ten Commandments. This is number seven. Why does Jesus list number seven first? I don't know. He's just kind of saying them. But number seven is two people in a relationship, not five, okay? So th th that's human adultery. Uh, number six, do you remember this? Number six is a six shooter. Do not murder. You shall not murder, okay? Uh, do you remember this? Number eight, you've had your thumbs cut off for stealing, so it's you're, you, you shall not steal. Uh, number nine is to testify falsely. So how many fingers am I holding up? It looks like nine, but there's this is just folded over. It's still there. So it's ten. I'm not lying, you know. So lying, don't don't lie, don't testify falsely, don't bear false witness. Um, I love these things. I'm trying to help you guys know the Ten Commandments that way. And I one of my favorites is number five, because you use to swat your child when they need uh, correction so that they will honor their father and mother. Always done in love. Uh, so that's number five. So Jesus uses these five commandments. Now I want you to notice something about these commandments. They are all about our relationship with other people, not our relationship to God. More about people. So look at what the man says, verse 21. Richie replied, I've carefully obeyed all these commandments since I was young. This is a good guy. He's really a good guy. Better than most people. I mean, Jesus only presented five of the commandments and, and those regulating human relationships. What did he omit? He omitted coveting, uh, and because that breaks your relationship with God. And he, he left out the first four, which really talk about our relationship directly to God. Now, verse 22, when Jesus heard his answer, it was, it was like, you know, family feud. Good answer, good answer. Everybody was cheering. Wow, this guy really answered well. He's great. But Jesus says, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Remember, it's about doing, not about being. And you need to do a little more. What does Jesus say? Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And this is where most of us go wrong. We think that Jesus means that you have to give up all of your stuff in in order to earn your way to heaven. Now, I have a question for you. What if the rich young ruler would have said, okay, I will. I'm going to sell all my possessions and I'm going to follow you. What would have happened? Would that have been enough to earn him a right to heaven? To inherit the kingdom of God? Not even that would have been it. Because it would have been about him doing it humanly. It would have been about his making it possible by doing good deeds, by doing things to please God that he would earn his way to heaven. And it's not about that. And so we've got to get this right. No amount of being good or following rules or not breaking the law or giving away our possessions or helping the poor or any other human effort is going to be good enough for us to inherit the kingdom of God. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. It is about giving your life to Christ. That's how you get a relationship with God that leads to eternal life. So, notice this statement. Our human efforts can make a difference in human relationships. But all of our human efforts are not enough to make our relationship with God right. God has to do that for us. We have to allow God to do that for us. And by the way, God doesn't need your stuff. He wants your heart. That's what he needs. He needs you. To, he wants yourself. Now, verse 23, when Richie heard this, he became sad for he was very rich. Notice it doesn't say he was just rich. He was very rich. How do we say that? Filthy rich. You know, wow. Is How is it possible to be rich and sad? Because this man is rich and sad. I mean, wouldn't most of us like to try that out? You know, I, I think of Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof. If I were a rich man, you know, you know, it's no honor to be poor, but it's no great honor. You know, I wouldn't mind being rich and trying that out. Well, there's a lie here. And the lie is that most of us even think that if we had more, we would be happier. But it's not more money. It's not more stuff. That's not the way to true happiness. Now, according to Pastor Steve's rule of riches, oh, you might want to write this down. (laughs) No, you don't have to, but I mean, here's my rule of riches. We are all wealthy. And if you want to have an argument with me about this, here's the logic I'll use. If you have more than you need, then by biblical principles... You are rich. So, do you have more than one coat? Do you have five coats? or How many shoes, pairs of shoes do you have? Oh, be careful here. And, and, and the whole idea is if you have more than you absolutely need, then that's a definition of biblical wealth. The problem is we try to establish 
wealth values by having as much as the other person has. And so we're relating ourselves to other people, not to what we have. So that, let me just proclaim today to all of you here and all of you out there watching at home, this is it. You are all wealthy. We live in America, so we're wealthy. We have more than we need. Are there actually poor people in America? Sure there are. But they have cell phones and laptops and, and, uh, and pet animals. Uh, our poor are wealthier than any other poor. But when we think about this, it's not about how much you have. It's about how much you belong to Jesus. If you have more than you need, you're rich. And and in verse 24, when, when Jesus saw this, when he saw that this man was sad and walked away, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says a funny thing. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some scholars have surmised that this is what it means to go through the eastern gate into the city, that that was a small gate. And, and so for uh, uh, someone who had goods mounted up on a camel, to get through that gate, you had to unload your camel, get your camel down on their knees and lead them through, bring all your stuff through and put them back on your camel. It was hard to get through this gate that they called the eye of the needle. It was hard to get through that gate. You had to unload your stuff. And then they would preach on that. That'll preach, you know. Oh, we, we got to unload all of our stuff in order to be fit for the kingdom of God. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Had Richie given up all of his stuff, it still wouldn't have been enough. He had to get his heart, his whole self given to God in order to be perfect in that way. And, and so he says, it's hard for the rich because they have so much stuff, it's, it's keeping them from that relationship to God. It's getting in the way. Other things can get in the way of our relationship with God. People are addicted to food and to drugs and to entertainment, that these things get in the way of our relationship with God. Do we have to give up those things to have a relationship with God? Well... If it's getting in the way and you want to have a relationship with God, you are going to get rid of those things. God is going to help you get rid of those things. But it's about having a relationship with God and following Him. And you know what? A lot of times we don't give up that stuff until after we have that relationship with God. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. I, I like the way Rick Warren says it. He says you have to catch the first fish first before you can clean it. And, and God is the one who catches us and then cleans us up. We should not expect every person who comes to church to be living in Christian perfection. If you've not followed Christ for a while, this is not possible. So let's not lay that on someone that if they give all, if they give everything up, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, that's still not going to be good enough. We can't be good enough except 
when we have a relationship with Jesus. He makes us good enough. It's like if you were trying to get in somewhere. Um, there was one time I was at a, a Promise Keepers convention, and um, I saw a pastor that I had worked with in the past, and he was going to be doing something on stage. And so he says to me and my friend, we're both pastors, and we're at this Promise Keepers convention. It was a convention of all pastors in Atlanta. And so there's like 50,000 pastors there. And so he says, hey, come with me. I'll take you backstage. And we're going, there's no way they're going to let us backstage. You know, he's on the program. He's going to pray. He's going to get to do that. But so we go up there and he's got his credentials. You know how you wear those little things? He's got his credentials. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And, and these guys, they're with me. So we got to go backstage at Promise Keepers. Look out at that stadium full of pastors. It was just like, it was a momentous event. And, and the only way we got in is because we were with him. The only way we get into heaven, the only way we get into the kingdom of God is because we're with Jesus. It doesn't matter how much we have or how much we give up. That doesn't get us in. It's that we're with Jesus. And that was the, that was Richie's problem. So, Here's a way to be saved. All right, look at verse 26. Those who heard this, this is the disciples that are kind of standing around. They say, then who in the world can be saved? Indeed, who can? Because what they were used to is obeying the law to be saved, to enter the kingdom of God. And what is the rest of the law? I'm going to give you the other five. Here's the way to be saved by following the rules. See how well you do. The first thing is you put God first. You put God before stuff, before other people, before uh, your career. You put God first. Have you always put God first? Well, then you're fit for the kingdom. Which of us have done that? We are not good enough. We, we put self first so often, but we've got to get off of that throne and let God be there. Put God first. That's, by the way, the first commandment. The second commandment is that there are no images and no idols and no images. So, number two, no status symbols. Uh, and, and the idea here is that true self-esteem, your, your, your true value in who you are comes from who you are in Christ, not from all the stuff you have. Now, I remember when I was a teenager, all of a sudden, really cool stuff, clothing, the labels got moved to the outside. Do you remember that when, when that happened? The, the, they didn't have labels on the outside of clothing before that. Uh, but now they did. They moved it to the outside. And I remember the status symbol when I was like a teenager. It was an Izod shirt. And you could tell an Izod shirt, the real thing had a little alligator right there. So if you had a little alligator on your shirt, you were better than everybody else. Did you know that? We believed it. We practiced it. We would do anything to buy a shirt that costs twice as much, may not even be any better, but it had the alligator on there. Alligator shirts. Do you remember those? Some of you are way too young. I think they still make them, but they're not such a status symbol anymore. If they are, I'm expecting some wonderful gifts, uh, alligator shirts. But it's not the stuff. It's not the shirt. It's not those things that make us worthy. It is what Christ did for us. So no images, no idols. Don't put stuff 
Don't let anything get in your way of your relationship with God. The third one, three, is to honor God by name. I remember this because God has three names, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Honor the Lord your God. Uh, The idea here is to honor God. It means don't misuse God and don't misuse the names of God. It is so fascinating to me that the only noun that is used as a swear word is the name of Jesus. And that is incredible misuse of God's name. And we should be highly offended whenever that happens. God will take care of himself. You don't need to defend him. But personally, have you ever misused God's name? You know, and now there's code, OMG. That's misusing the name of God. Now, I am the technical police, and so that's what I say. Is it for you? Do, do you hear that? Do you see that? Do you, do you understand that any time we use a God as, a, as an expletive or even as an explanation point, we're misusing his name. We're not honoring it. We're not, we're not keeping him in that proper perspective. And, and so that's what that means. The principle behind these rules are still true today. Even if you never swore using God's name, it wouldn't mean that you were really honoring him, though. So we've got to get the whole principle in place. Number four, number four is there's four weeks in a month. There's usually four, sometimes five Sundays. So keep God's day holy. The idea here is to make Sunday different. Is Sunday different for you? Uh, Sundays are to be a day of rest in the Lord, not a day to try to get more stuff. Uh, this really became true for me when I was working at Arts Food Center, and I just had started going to church. And uh, by this time, at Arts Food Center, I was the number one box boy. You talk about status symbol. But that meant, in those days, that only one box boy worked on Sunday. And so I got called into work, and um, and I and and in those days you got paid time and a half for Sunday, and I'm thinking, this is a pretty good deal. Wow, same amount of work, less customers. Of course, this was in that day when people didn't shop on Sundays, you know, but the store was open, and 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 so I had an initial battle with what what does this mean to keep Sunday different. And, and I don't know about you. I don't know if you ever have to work on Sunday. I'm a pastor, so I only work on Sunday. That's what people think. So it, it's so interesting. I remember when I was a child, way, way back when, stores were not open on Sundays. So, and the law made Sunday different. Those laws are all gone. We, we, we call those blue laws. Those are all gone now. And we're to the point where Sunday is pretty much just like any other day. I, re- I remember um, we had a guy who was a manager of grocery warehouse in Porterville, and he told me that Sunday now was the busiest day of the week to shop. And this was like 25 years ago. doesn't seem like Sunday's too different. You know, we should talk about this more. How about if we all get together and go out for lunch today? <laughs> we do. It, it used to be in the old days when people kept the Sabbath holy, they went home for every meal on Sunday, but now we mostly go out. 
um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for those people who have to work on Sunday, and I am making them have to work. So I've got to deal with that, too. Uh, if I want to be really rigid to the law, then I probably won't go out on Sunday. I won't buy gas. Uh, one, um, one Sunday afternoon, I had to get something for church. It was In those days, we still had church on Sunday night at that church. And, and um, so I had to run into Target. And I'm thinking, oh, man, it's just before church. I'm running into Target. I hope I don't see anybody, you know. And I saw like six people from the church. They had no qualms about that. And, and you know, we don't think about it. In your heart, in your mind, is Sunday any different? Are, are we honoring God by keeping a Sabbath? Are you having a day of rest? Um, the other one that Jesus omitted in this uh, rundown of the commandments was number 10, which says don't covet, do not covet. That means wanting something, he uses the word neighbor, want, wanting something of your neighbors, and he goes through the list, but it's it's don't let any of your neighbor's stuff or people or anything get between you and God. And, and, and so relationships can get in the way too. When we think about the Ten Commandments, they still have value today. The rich young ruler kept these very well, but he was depending on his rightness with God, his righteousness, by what he did, not about what Christ did for him. And, and that's an important lesson for us, because none of us, even if we obey all the Ten Commandments, don't break the rules, are good enough to have right standing with God. You could keep all the rules, Nobody can, especially perfectly. So Richie, like us, needed a right relationship with God. And, and we need a right relationship with our stuff. We need God. It's impossible to keep the rules perfectly. So what does Jesus say in response to the disciples who say, who can be saved? He says, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Let me tell you, it is impossible for you to do anything worthy enough to earn the kingdom of God. But God will make it possible for you. What's impossible for you is possible with God. It's impossible for people to please God on their own, but Jesus, God has made it possible through Jesus. God makes it possible, and it says for us, but you could say for me, me to enter the kingdom of heaven, for me with Jesus, I get to go backstage. I get to go to heaven. I get to sit right by Jesus. Peter makes a response. And remember now, Peter's becoming more and more like Jesus, but he still has moments. But look at what he says here. We have left our homes to follow you. And Jesus says, yes. I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. It's not about what we do to earn it. 
But as we are following Christ, those things are so much less important. So what is the difference between what Peter did and what Richie didn't do? Peter followed Jesus and he gave up a lot. As a matter of fact, the moment when Peter first started following Jesus full time was after they'd had a huge catch of fish and Peter left it. But he left it to follow Jesus. It wasn't a requirement, leave all that and follow me. Peter had it right. He followed Jesus and he didn't mind what he was leaving. Richie chose not to follow Jesus and to keep his stuff. So know this, personal sacrifice is not enough. Jesus wants you. He wants all of you. He doesn't need your stuff. He wants your heart. Luke tells us a little story that helps us understand this. A, a large crowd, this is Luke 14, a large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. So would you underline that in your notes? I, I think I left room. Hate everyone else by comparison. And he defines it. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, even your own life, even all of your stuff. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. He says that when we're following Jesus, we don't bring a trailer. We, we're just following him. And, and all that other stuff is, is nothing in comparison. And then he, look at what he says in verse 27, the very next verse. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. We got to put down our stuff and pick up the cross of Christ. And, and I'd, I'd encourage you to underline that. Carry your own cross. Now there's a kind of a double negative here, which says the same thing. If you do not carry your own cross, you cannot follow me. So that means carry your cross and follow Jesus. What cross does he have you to bear? Does he want you to give up all your stuff? Well, I don't know, maybe, probably not. If he asks you to, and you're very clear on that, do that. But there's another verse that gives us a little more information that we need here. This is Matthew 6, 31 to 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And this is the verse to memorize. This is a great verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You see, we cannot be good enough. We cannot give enough. We cannot obey enough. I mean, we're only human. 
we can only trust God to do something on our behalf deep in our hearts. We have to recognize that Jesus is good. We have to understand that I am not good, not good enough. We follow the rules that you can, but don't depend on those rules to get you to heaven. Follow God for salvation and follow God for abundant life. Do good deeds, sure, but trust God with all your needs and he will make you fit for his kingdom. You'll be good enough, not by what you did, but what Jesus has already done. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for helping Peter become more and more the man that you called him to be. And he's not there yet. And Lord, I thank you that as we look at Peter's life, we can see that we're not there yet. Sometimes we're doing pretty good and, and we're doing our best, and, and yet we still have to depend on you for holiness, for purity of life. And Lord, help us to depend on you. Help us not to let stuff get in the way of our relationship with you. And especially, Lord, any things that we're addicted to materialism, all those kinds of things. Don't let us put anything in the way. Don't let us make anything more important than you in our lives. Don't let us have idols and images before you. And Lord, help us to have a day where we rest in you, where we think God thoughts. And Lord, it, you know, help us to put that into practice because we want to have a better relationship with you. Not to earn it, but to have it. To be what you've called us to be. More and more like you. Recreated by you in the image that God made us. Make it so, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.